Welcome to those of you who are joining us in the fellowship hall and online. As we continue our series about the good and beautiful God, we're learning today about how God forms us into a good and beautiful community. And today in particular, we're learning about what it means that we, as his people, are a worshiping community. In the Gospels, we see that Jesus is very much part of a worshiping community. On the eighth day of his earthly life as a baby, he was consecrated to God in the temple. And at age 12, he was found hanging out uh, with the scripture teachers in the temple long after everyone else had already headed home. And in Luke, we see Jesus on the Sabbath get up to read from the scroll of Isaiah in the synagogue. And the text tells us that this is his regular practice, meeting with people of faith weekly to read scripture and to pray together. So Jesus went to the temple for all of the big all-play celebrations and festivals of the faith. And he weekly met with the synagogue community on the Sabbaths to worship. But he also gathered with his disciples, his small group, to go deeper with them. And he spent a lot of time helping people in very tangible ways that were also spiritually very full of meaning, feeding people, healing, restoring, acts of service. So we can see all of those things modeled by Jesus as part of living in relationship with God, worship, smaller group discipleship, and serving others. But when you think about it, Jesus' relationship with God, his Father, was and is daily moment to moment, and strong. And his relationship with his disciples was also daily and strong. So he didn't need to gather with the community of worship for him to be able to hear from God, or to pray, or to gain an audience, or to advance his ministry. Because all of those things happened in his daily life wherever he went. And yet, Jesus did faithfully meet with the whole community of worship. And he brought his small group with him there too. Even when those in leadership in the temple and the synagogue didn't accept him, which made it difficult. So why did he go? Obviously, Jesus' faithful practice wasn't about how it would benefit himself. And I think it's interesting to note that because I sometimes hear from people that they don't need to meet with the community of faith to worship because they know about God already. And they don't need someone to remind them of stuff they already know. But I'm pretty sure that Jesus knew it all too. <laughs> quite a bit more than all of us, and still he gathered to worship. And sometimes I hear people say they don't need to gather with a community of faith to worship because I do my best praying alone. Well, Jesus did a lot of praying alone, probably his best too, alone with God his Father, and still he gathered to worship. And sometimes I hear people say, I do my best growing in my small group, I don't think I really need to be part of the whole worshiping community to grow spiritually. And yet Jesus, the best small group leader ever, with the most exciting and spiritually fruitful small group ever, still led his group to be part of the whole worshiping community, right? So it stands to reason that the reason that we gather in worship is not primarily because it's the best of all settings to pray or to grow or to serve. Although all of those things do tend to happen in worship. So why? Why are we called not just to be individual disciples, but part of a worshiping community? What things happen in this particular kind of community that can be done in no other way? What is Jesus modeling for us here? Well, I think the first thing we need to realize about worship is that it is something that we give. 
that with our presence here, we proclaim God is our Lord. And we proclaim that to ourselves and to the world around us, that our worship is for him. See, worship is not a noun, a person, place, or thing. It's a verb. It's an action word, like jump or run. It's something that we do. And it's just called worship because that's what's happening here. Just like a dance is called a dance because dancing happens there. So what I'm saying is you need to bring your worship to give to God. And what makes this a community of worship is that we all bring our worship, our prayers, our petitions, our cries to the same Redeemer and Savior. For you to be in worship, you need to bring yours to add to the potluck of praise that we bring together. See, worship is not passive, it's active. And secondly, I think we often define worship by the things that are actually side benefits of worshiping, not actually worship itself. Because the truth is, we can learn and we can grow and we can be inspired in worship, but ultimately, worship is not about us and about what we're getting out of it. If you come to worship expecting to be entertained or flattered or for your needs to be the center of attention, you're at the wrong party. <laughs> Because the guest of honor here is and always will be God every single week. That what makes this a community of worship is the fact that we are, as individual people, all coming to seek and honor the one who's the answer for all of us. And every single one of us here is equally important to him. None of us more important than any other. All of us are his we gather here to worship first and foremost to remind ourselves and each other that we belong to him. And in doing so, we are honoring God with our obedience. Peter Lundell, a pastor and author who is actually a son of this congregation, writes in his book, Prayer Power, Worship is the biggest issue in the universe because worship acknowledges who or what has the authority. So why did Jesus go to the synagogue and the temple even when it was dangerous for him? Because that's where people were gathering to honor and worship God, his Father. How could he stay away? The most obvious characteristic Jesus showed the world was his desire to honor God, his Father. And by gathering, he was showing with the public confession of his presence who he belonged to, to whom he was accountable, who was his God. And that's why we come to when you choose to gather for worship, you're proclaiming who you belong to. And you're proclaiming the authority of God in your life. That he is the Lord and you are his. Because worship is not about us. It's about God. Worship is not about you. But here's the thing. When we enter into that place where your worship is about him and for him, suddenly a strange thing happens. In all of this worship that is not about you, you start to find that you're worshiping a God who is all about you. A God who knows you deeply and personally and who loves you and who wants to help you to grow and become all that he has for you. Worship is not about you, but the God you are worshiping is a God who is for you. So do you see how that works? Looks a lot like love. When you get to that place where you're authentically coming to give something, to give your praise to God, to hand over your hurts and your joys and worship for him just because he's your God, 
you find that it's also a place where you receive. But that can be a hard thing for us to do, to change our focus from us to God. And that's why historically, confession has been located near the beginning of worship time. Because through generations of Christians gathering for worship, they started to realize that when they first gather, they might not actually feel like worshiping yet. There's a lot that's happened last week. There's a lot of things that we wish we'd done differently, and there are a lot of hurts that need healing. And so Christians started to discover over time that people actually got into a more authentic place of worship faster when they started by admitting the things that were standing between them and God in their hearts. Wayne Cordero says about confession in his book, Jesus Pure and Simple, he says, Do not be afraid to let him remove from you what you are not, lest you become what you never wanted to be. We start in worship with vulnerable hearts so God can remove from us what we are not so that he can work in us the truth of who we are in him. And we do that together in worship, not because this is the best place to get deep down and dirty with all of our failings and sins for the week. That's actually much better to do in private. (laughs) But we do this as a community all together to remind us that that is true of everybody. No matter how put together you think your neighbor looks, we're all in the same place of needing and receiving Grace. Isn't that encouraging? And when we confess, what we're doing is acknowledging, Hi, God, I know I'm supposed to be focused in on you, but really I'm focused on me and all of this stuff. So here's all this stuff that I'm focused in on, and I'm offering it up to you, the God that I want to be focused in on, the God alone who can do something about this mess. And then When we hear his words of forgiveness, we're reminded that Jesus came for just this type of situation, to forgive us, to make us new. And we're reminded just how much God loves us and wants to restore us. And suddenly we find we're not focused on us anymore. We're focused on the God who chooses to forgive and renew us because of who he is. And suddenly, before we know it, we're praising. See, this is why we're called to be communities of worship Because truly alone, we can get stuck. We can get stuck with too small pictures of God and what he can do. We can get stuck too much on our current selves and not who we are becoming in Christ. We need the community to help us see further, to see that God is bigger than we think, and to see that we're not alone. And we need to remember that God loves our neighbor just as he loves us, even those very unlike us, of different generations and backgrounds. We can't grow in loving God without loving our neighbor as well. But how do we remember our neighbor also belongs to him if we don't see them also worshiping? There's something crucially important about gathering that's foreshadowing of the kingdom to come, the kingdom of heaven, which reminds us that our God is in the business of reaching all people, all generations of all hearts and kinds, and drawing us back to himself, and in doing so, drawing us to each other, too. Our gospel text today is just a little snapshot of one day with Jesus, one conversation where we see a little bit more of his own heart of worship. And here's the setting. 
Jesus has just sent out 72 of his followers to go to the places where Jesus is intending to go to help people prepare to receive what Jesus will do in each of those places. And this passage starts when they'd all come back from doing that. And now they're reporting to Jesus that they found out that his name has a spiritual power they had never imagined. They had trusted and obeyed and they had seen wonders done in Jesus' name. And they're filled with joy. And seeing their joy, Jesus is led into this spontaneous moment of praise in Luke 10. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. You see, these followers were not seminary-trained theologians. They were everyday people sent on an errand to go wake up people to the presence of God. And when they were obedient, they were blown away by what they experienced. And their joy caused Jesus to respond in praise of the character of God, his Father. Can you just hear his delight in this? He is basically saying, Father, I love this about you, that you use not those who think they can do this without you on their own power, but just those who are willing to trust you. And in this moment, these teams are encouraged, and everyone is led to praise God for who he is. Now, here's my question. Would that moment of praise and encouragement have happened if they had not gathered together? If they hadn't shared their own individual experiences of how God was at work? You see, there's something about gathering people of faith together that leads to worship, which kind of made me think of a which came first, the chicken or the egg type of thing. Because when the church, the people of God gather, worship happens. And is that because worship was scheduled to happen, so the people of God, the church, gathered to praise God together? Or is it just when the church gathers, worship will happen? Because when people who love God get together, their hearts are naturally going to go toward what unites them. It's kind of like that picture of how burning coals, when they're separated, can quickly burn out. But when they're grouped together with others, they're fanned into flame. We praise him because when we're together, we're reminded how good he is and how much we all need him and how he's here for our need. Or do we honor the Sabbath as a time to gather so we don't forget who he is in all of our lives? So we can remind each other who he is and spur each other on to worship him for who he is. I think both. Both are true. Because what if you're in a place where you just don't feel like you can worship? Where you're discouraged and you're not sure you can get yourself to praise God from where you are? Well, here's another power, powerful reason why God calls us to worship in community. Right now, this room is full of people who have struggled and suffered and cried and laughed and hoped and dreamed and who have discovered through it all that God is faithful. It's full of people who have been there, who need God and will pray for you knowing that you need God too. See, there's no perfect lives, no perfect people, only a perfect Lord who loves us with a perfect love. And we all need to know that God is bigger than we think. Because you see, worship is not always joy. Sometimes worship is just choosing to trust God, 
to carry you through the pain of what you don't and can never understand on this side of eternity. And when we gather together and sing the songs of faith, when you hear the voice of the person next to you singing, what you're hearing is their confession of faith. That someone next to you is choosing to voice their trust that the promises of God are true for them. Choosing to praise him for what he's done and for who he is, no matter what's happening in their lives. And sometimes when you know the stories of those people around you, that in itself is a testimony of faith. Willfully praising God when we're discouraged or in trouble is an act of faith. That's worship. And when we're surrounded by all those confessions of faith, it actually encourages us to worship as well. There's lots of psalms in the Bible written for community worship, and many of them say things like, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And when we praise those, we're encouraging our souls to worship. It's like your brain is nudging your spirit to wake up. Do your stuff, soul. Praise the Lord who made you. Connect with the God who loves you. Because sometimes we need reminding. And sometimes it's the soul of another who you might not even know who inspires you to worship God in a way that opens your heart to know more of who he is. Because God made us for community. And what brings us to a place of authentic worship is seeing the character of our God. What so many had longed to see, and we see him in Jesus. The Lord who chose to meet us where we are, who chose to join with a community of broken human beings in order to redeem our humanity in his love. And still we find him among us. Jesus said wherever two or three come together in his name, he is here among us. And we are blessed to be part of a greater family of God because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I'd like to close today with a story of a worship experience that I had in Italy. When we were leaving Rome, we were told that our next stop was going to be at this little medieval town called Orvieto. And Orvieto is built up on top of a volcanic rock, as a lot of those medieval towns were, for protection. And the town still had all of its original stone gates all the way around the city. So the bus had to park at the bottom of the hill, and we had to take these underground caves and escalators to emerge up in the center of the city. And the city, the medieval town, was still full of cobblestones and stone and wood storefronts of the old city. And as we walked through those old cobblestone streets thinking, wow, this place looks untouched, we turned the corner and all of a sudden there stood this enormous, glittering cathedral. Pieces of sparkling colored glass were embedded in every single pillar and buttress. And these ancient mosaics just caught every piece of the sun and just glittered and shone. A place of worship 1,000 years old. And as we walked in, we saw the stories of faith painted on the walls. And I started to think about all of the generations of people who had worshipped here. And all of their heartaches and all the joys and their struggles. All the knees that had bent to the same Lord over the past 1,000 years in this place. And then suddenly I heard music. On one side chapel in the front of the church, there was a group of teenagers gathered. Catholic teenagers from the United States kneeling in reverence to God in shorts and t-shirts with hearts full of their own struggles and hopes and fears. 
And these were the words that they were singing that were echoing all through the huge cathedral. O God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, our shelter from the stormy blast, and our eternal home. Now I knew that their home was across an ocean where a different language was spoken and a very different culture and a different way of life. But here in the house of God, they were home with him. And God was there in a powerful way. They were calling on the same God who had been the hope and the light of a thousand years of teenagers in the past in that place. And I couldn't help but join in singing with them because I love the same Lord who's that faithful to all of us. It was one of those kingdom of heaven moments, you know what I mean? When all the divisions just melt away and you get a glimpse of how God sees us as just beloved people who are redeemed by Jesus who is God, who is community of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, draws us into eternal community to remind us of something powerful. That as a worshiping community, we remember he is God and we are his throughout all generations of history. That he is God for you and for me. And one day when all of this world has passed away, what we will still see is Jesus and his love that would go to the cross to forgive and restore us, and we will see each other. The faces from all over the world, from every age of history, who have trusted in this promise of the Lord of love. So when we gather and we look into the faces around us, we see and remember God's heart is for the world, that he has been faithful throughout all generations of his people, and he will be for you as well. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Lord, we pray that you would teach our hearts to seek your face and to worship you, Lord, with all that we are because of who you are. Lord, as we worship you, as we surrender ourselves to your feet, would you show us, Lord, who we are to be and who we are to be to one another. For you are a God who loves us and teaches us to love one another. And all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.